Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Let's, let's start in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And <clears throat> Paul here says, and, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but in uh, verse 4, he says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You, have, you can't get anywhere victoriously. And God's called us all to live a victorious life. And that, that, let, let me start back where I started last week. And I made this, this my personal testimony, but Paul, Paul did the same thing. Paul listed in, in one of the letters to Corinthians all of the things that he had been through. Beatings, shipwreck, uh, betrayals. And at the end of all of this stuff, and to believe, you, believe me, I, I probably would have quit about halfway through Paul's list. And at the end of that list, Paul made the statement, but these minor things we set aside to the glory of God or in comparison to the glory that God's put in us. Well, and I use the testimony of when, when Gina had uh, the heart attack in, in December. If someone would have observed me on the outside, they would have said, this man's, he's, he's a wreck. There's no victory in his life. I was an emotional wreck. I was terrified. I mean, it shook me to the core of my, you know, to, the, to, the, to my base. Everything in me wanted to just go nuts. And yet in the midst of that, God spoke to me. God gave me a word. God gave me the courage to stand. I was, it did not affect my emotions. Believe me, if you'd have talked to me, in fact, I'm about to tear up now, uh, just remembering it. If, if you, in fact, I, when I called my daughter um, to tell her what had happened, I couldn't talk to her. I blubbered for, it took me five minutes to get a 30-second message out. And I finally, I said, I'm not, you know, you call your brother, anything you're going to hear from me the rest of the day, it's all coming in text messages because I can't talk. But in the midst of it, I had victory. In the midst of it, God was right there with me every moment, speaking into my heart, gave me a scripture to stand on, to face the situation. When I spoke, that's all I spoke. That's because I knew if I get off of this little narrow thing that God show me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come apart at the seams. As Kenneth Copeland used to say, I'm going to be like a $3 watch. It's just I'm going to fly apart. Well, it didn't look victorious, but I was walking in victory. So walking in victory is not having all of your external circumstances just running like clockwork. I, and I want to get that down to start with. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just everything's clicking on all eight cylinders. You're just driving down the road. The air conditioner's working fine. I'm talking about when you're off the side of the road, the car's blown up, all four tires went flat, and you got no gas, and you got no money. You can still walk in victory in that circumstance. When all hell breaks loose and comes against you and every demon in hell is lined up at your front door saying, just back off, let me take one shot at him. I know you guys have had a shot, but I want one more. You can still walk in victory in the midst of all of those contrary circumstances. Victory isn't a reflection of your immediate circumstances. It's a, it's a reflection of the condition of your heart. Amen? It came, first of all, what we just read, Ephesians 1.4, just as he chose us in him. And I'm going to refer to this. You don't have to go there, but last week we read Romans 8. It's one of my favorite passages out of the message, Romans 8.30. In the middle of that verse, it says, and he followed this, well, it says, after God made the decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. God not only chose you, but he called you by name. It's not an accident that you are a Christian. It's not an accident that you are where you are. You are where you are in, in, in natural circumstances or in your natural life because of the decisions we make. Like it or not, 
you know, and, and, and don't take this too far, but we are the captain of our own ship. Jesus is doing real or, or working really hard telling us which way to turn the tiller. But sometimes we don't listen. And he will, he will steer you between some storms, but sometimes he'll, steal you, he'll, he'll steer you right through a storm, expecting you, just like he expected the disciples, to stand up and rebuke the storm. If you read that story, when, when they went across the, the, the lake and the storm arose, he was in the back asleep, and they woke him up, and he was not happy. He got up, he rebuked the storm, and then he rebuked the disciples for their little faith. In other words, why didn't you guys take care of this? I've shown you how to do it. Why, do you, why are you dependent on me? Use your faith. You've got control of this. And I read that and I'm thinking, wow, he had high expectations for these guys. Well, it's because he had chosen them. He didn't just go out. Now, he didn't just do it randomly. It says in, in the New Testament that Jesus only spoke what he heard the Father say. He only did what he saw the Father do. He was perfectly led by the Spirit. And, and when, he, when he followed the Lord, and he did perfectly, he's the only man to ever walk the earth that never disobeyed what God told him to do. But when he did that, even in the midst of the problems, he had victory. Amen? Because God called us by name, but in, in, in drop on down in Ephesians 1, go down to verse 11, not only has he, um, did he chose to choose us, but in verse 7 it says we have redemption through his blood. Verse 8 says he's made um, grace to abound toward us. And in verse 11 it says in him also we have obtained an inheritance. We, we, this walk that we walk as Christians, it's not just a pie in the sky by and by. I don't know about you, Dean and I, Wednesday night, we were, we were here by the, ourselves. It, snow was in the forecast and everybody ran like brats off a sinking ship. And that's not a rebuke, that's just, I laugh sometimes. It's like, oh my God, there's snow in the forecast, run to Kroger's. I mean, it's amazing, a half inch of snow in every milk jug and every loaf of bread's off the shelves. You'd think Armageddon was coming. But, but in, in our conversation when we were talking about things, I had to admit, with the state of the world right now, I'm really anxious for the rapture. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to just wrap it up. If they ain't saved, and it used to be, oh, Lord, no, put it off, put it off. I got people I want to preach the gospel to. Well, as long as I'm here, I'm going to preach the gospel. But they ain't got the message by now, tough. I want to go home. I'm ready. But at the same time, I don't want to get to the point where, where I just live in despair. And I just, you know, I, I, I got to get to heaven because I can't handle this anymore. Life is too rough. Well, let me tell you, life sometimes is rough. It'll beat you down and stomp you into the mud and then sit back and laugh. And when you try to get up, he'll beat you some more. But in the midst of that, we have an inheritance. And we can walk above those immediate circumstances. Amen? Now, we also saw a pattern. Verse 13 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. There is, um, go over to Romans 10. I'm going to touch on this really quickly. There is a pattern that comes. In Romans chapter 10, um, if you read, I'm not going to go through it, but verse 11 says, For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. But then verse 13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you read that and reverse the order, what Paul's saying here is there's a pattern that, that we have to follow to, in order to get people saved. You have to send people out. Well, first of all, God has sent each of us out. It, we, we, it, the, the gospel was never designed to be preached by pastors and evangelists and missionaries. Pastors are put in the church to feed the sheep. 
so that the sheep are healthy, so that when they go out amongst the wolves, they can preach the gospel. Doesn't mean the pastors don't preach the gospel, but that's not a pastor's primary calling. The primary calling of each of us individually as a member of the body of Christ is to preach the gospel. So when, it, when, when Paul starts and says, first thing you have to do is they have to be sent, he's talking to you. Not only did he call you by name to call you out of darkness and into light to become, become his child and have a relationship with me or with him, he, he has also called you by name and said, here is your task in this world. Preach the word in season and out of season. When it's comfortable, when it's not comfortable. When it's accepted, when it's not accepted. Preach the word. And as St. Francis famously said, even if you have to use words, which means your life ought to preach the gospel, how you live. But they have to be sent, then they have to preach, then people have to hear. Once you have heard, you have to believe. Once you believe, you have to call on that. You have to call on Jesus to do what he said he would do. And then you are saved or transformed. So my, my point there is most people think the end of everything to walk out the Christian walk is to have faith and to believe. That is not the end. If that's as far as you go, it's never going to work out. You can have a perfect knowledge of the Bible. You can believe it from, you know, the, the table of contents to the maps. It's not going to do you a bit of good if that's all you do is believe it. I, I used to play this game when I taught school. I would sit sometimes and just sit at my desk and I'd have my head down and I'm moving my hand like I'm grading papers and I'm not doing anything but just marking on a blank sheet of paper and I'm listening. And, and usually when that happened is when I'd hear great theological debates break out in my classroom. You know, you get teenagers debating deep theological thoughts. It's, it's really good. But usually somewhere in the midst of that, I would hear, well, I believe in God. And that's good enough. James has an answer for that. He says, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Believing is not enough. You have to take a step past believing to call on God to do what he said he would do in your life. It has to become personal for you. If you don't call on the Lord, you will not be saved. I don't care how much you believe it. You have to put voice to it. You have to say, God, I believe this. I want this. I want you. And when you do, you will be saved, which means you will be transformed. Amen? For us, when that happens, we become part of the one new man. And... You're in, in Ephesians 1, drop down to Ephesians 2, verse 14. He says, um, he himself is our peace who has made both one. There are, you know, we're, we're in the midst of the political season, craziness season in our country. Happens every four years. F political fever breaks out. People just go crazy. But it, it's interesting to watch the race card be played in all of this. Because if you know the Bible, you know there are only two races in the world. There are believers and there are unbelievers. And that's it. Nothing else counts. And I can tell you as a, as a biologist, your genetics, you can look at, 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 at a, a, you know, take a, a short, pale, white woman and a tall, very black male of African descent and their gene structure, that, that sequence of, of nucleotides in their DNA is 99.999% the same, identical, no difference. It's only one one thousandth of a percent that's different to make all the differences between us. 
I don't know about you, but if I take a test and I get 99.999, I'm doing pretty good. Well, if that's the only difference between someone who is short, white, and female and someone who's tall, dark, and, and male, how can we look at each other and say, wow, there's such a big difference between us? Well, there's not a difference between us. It's not the physical that counts. It's the spiritual. If you are a believer, Paul said, it's, there's neither uh, male nor female. There's neither rich nor poor. There's no, neither educated or uneducated. There's neither sophisticated or unsophisticated. We are all one in Christ. We are one new man in Christ. Ladies, you are part of Christ. You are a one new man. Now, don't feel bad about being called a man because I also get called the bride of Christ. And if you can imagine me in a bridal dress, it's not something you really want to do too much. So the, the, the point is, it's not male or female. People go on about, you know, the Bible's patriarchal. Well, it is, because that was the society that God chose, the way he chose it, to demonstrate his will. He could have made it uh, matriarchal and had everything inherited through the women, and, and the men, you know, uh, not had the inheritance. What's the difference? It's just, it's an illustration. It doesn't mean that there's any difference between us because the, the, the revelation is there's not any, any revelation or any difference between us. But it all comes through his blood and through his um, word. Amen? Now, the pattern that we saw last week, and I know I was going to make it quick. I'm trying. We saw it in Genesis where God created the physical universe. God spoke. And it appeared. For us, the pattern in our life is we have to hear God's word. We have to get a revelation or just, it may not even come to that level. But you become aware of the word. You believe it, which is a choice, not a feeling. And that is important. Because I guarantee you, some, some promises are so out there that when you first hear it, your brain is going to go tilt every time. It's just, that's how it is. Your emotions, your brain were not, uh, were not designed to accept this gospel automatically. You have to work at making your brain and renewing your mind and make it accept what the Word says. But you can accept that despite all of the contrary evidence out here, I accept that God's Word says this has to change because He is true and not a liar. And he gave this to me. Once I accept that, then I have to start agreeing with him. If I don't, if I choose not to believe, then I have set myself in league with Lucifer, who said, I'm going to put my throne above your throne. That's Isaiah 14. I don't want to put my word above his word. Let's face it. If God says something and I disagree... It's not real hard to figure out who's right. I'm a pretty smart guy. I ain't even close to that smart. If it's an argument between what God knows and what I know, I, if I've got any sense at all, I'm going to go with what God knows. Now, I will tell you, even in the midst of saying that, that there are a lot of things in this Bible that honest people can disagree about. It's just like politics. I have, I, I, I'm slightly to the right of Attila the Hun. And I have, I have friends that are, you know, left of me. Let's just put it that way. We still fellowship. We still like each other. We still love each other. But are we different? Yeah. Well, who's right and who's wrong? Both. We're both right and we're both wrong. Why? Because neither one of us has all the answers. None of us have all the answers. All, things that you believe and you're settled, this is how it is. Write it down right now. That ain't how it is. Because you don't have all the facts. You don't know everything. And there, are, there is room to improve on everything we have. Everything you think you know, there is room to improve on all of it. Amen? 
But we do have this pattern. Now, I made this statement last week, and this is where I'm going to start today. And I know, 20-minute introduction, right? Hey, I took 20 minutes to cover what I took over an hour last week, so I'm doing good. Part two, though, you can never rise up beyond your revelation of who you are in Christ. That is the absolute foundation for everything you will ever live out. We have little books out here. If you don't have one uh, in the visitor center or the, the welcome center out here, we have a little books by Kenneth e. Hagans in Christ. I encourage you, if you don't own one, get one. Open it up, go through it, look at the scriptures, go to your Bible, read them, mark them, and learn those scriptures. It is the most important thing you will ever do as a Christian is to learn who you are in Christ because it is the foundation. Because you, the devil will always be quick to remind you of who you are and what you have done and what your past is. Excuse me, what your past is. But that past is dead and gone. I'm a new creature. I'm a new creation. What I did five minutes ago doesn't matter. It's dead and gone. It's like taking a video. You know, I love to watch, my wife hates them, but I love old black and white movies. I love, I really love the old detective, um, um, oh, there's a term for it and I lost it now. They made these old detective movies in the 50s when they had color movies, but they're all black and white. And, and I just, they, there's something about them. I just, I like them. But, <clears throat> totally forgot. Oh, when you watch these old movies, you watch these people on this film, and they, they're alive, they're vital, they, they're moving, they're talking, and yet they're dead in the grave. They don't, they're not around anymore. They have the appearance of life, but they're not alive. It's just an image. Well, that's how your past is. It appears alive. It appears like it really has some influence, but in actuality, it's dead and it's gone. Let, it, let the dead bury the dead. You move on in what you are. Your life is in the, is in the right now. And it's the right now that's going to affect your future that's why God gave us 1 John 1, 9. When the devil starts beating your brains out about um, um, your past, then if, if nothing else, just go to 1 John 1 and 9 and say, Lord, I hadn't even thought about that, but the devil's bringing it up real clearly right here, right now. I'm just settling it right now. I, that, that was sin. Doesn't matter whether it's five minutes or five years or 50 years. If, if you're being tormented by it, Take a second, get it under the blood, but then go to the rest of the verse and believe that God is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and put it behind you and realize that's dead, that's gone, it doesn't affect me. That's not who I am. Who I am is who Jesus is. I am seated with him in heavenly places. He's raised me up to be with him. I rule and reign in Christ. If I rule and reign, if I stay in the here and now and in my past, I'm going to be defeated all the time. There is nothing but defeat in looking at who you used to be and what you used to do. There is only victory in sitting with him in heavenly places and realizing he's given me authority. I have authority over my life. I have authority over the devil. Doesn't matter what he tries to do, he has one option. My option is to resist him, his option is to flee. It's all he can do. Now, apart from that, we need to have that revelation of who we are in Christ, but that revelation can never come apart from receiving his word. That's why I said what I did about that little book in him. It's not just a matter of reading the book. It's also a reason I know we put the scriptures up here on, on the screen, but it's really good for you to bring your Bible, open your Bible, and read the verses out of your Bible. It's the same word, but knowing it's here, seeing that this is a fact, and it's in my Bible. That, it's just something about that that, that that implants it more firmly in your heart. Amen? Now, this getting a revelation of the word. Go to Acts chapter 20, and I want to read a little portion of, of Scripture here, 
And I want to just basically, I'm going to lay a foundation for the next lesson. This is Paul. Paul was um, an apostle, an evangelist, a teacher, a pastor. He stood pretty much in all of the, all of the offices of the fivefold ministry. But he had been, prior to Acts chapter 20, he had been receiving everywhere he went, prophets prophesied to him, you're going to go to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem they're going to beat you, they're going to chain you, and then they're going to kill you. And Paul didn't care. Paul knew God had called him to Jerusalem to go back. And people were trying to dissuade him from that call. And they thought, hey, God showed me, this is what's going to happen to you, don't do this. And Paul said, I don't care. I don't care what I get there, I just know that God's called me to go back there. Well, in the midst of, of all of that turmoil, in Acts chapter 20, it started in verse 25, um, Paul is meeting with the elders from the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was probably the church that Paul spent the most time in. He, he other than maybe, um, um, I want to say Troas, nah, that's probably not right, but where he was first called, where they were first called Christians, that was probably the church that had as much influence as, as any that Paul had. But Ephesus got it. Um, the, the two letters, the, church, the letter to the church at Ephesus and the letter to the church at Colossae, are probably the, some of the deepest uh, letters that Paul wrote. Romans is the most complete account of his theology, what he believed, because he'd never been to Rome. He was trying to introduce what he believed. But Ephesus... Was, was where he had the most impact. And he's meeting with these elders just before he goes to Jerusalem, and this is what he's saying to them. Verse 25, he says, And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. It's Paul's way of saying, hey, I've done everything I know to do. If you have a problem that's going to cause you problems, I've preached everything I know to preach to you, and I don't have any more answers apart from what I've already preached to you. Now, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, so that was, he had a pretty good message. Verse 27, he said, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel, the whole purpose, the design, the determination, the decree of God. I added those others. But that's what that means, the whole council. Because I, I heard Kenneth Copeland say one time he didn't preach the whole gospel of Christ because he didn't know the whole gospel of Christ. Well, that is true in one sense. We don't know it all. But if you read the Bible, you do know the purpose. We do know the, his, God's design, and, and we do know what God's decrees are. And Paul preached it completely to them. Verse 28 says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Remember, Paul is heading off to Jerusalem. He thinks he's going to die there. These are his final words to this church that he's poured his life out to. He says, not only are, are savage wolves going to come in to, to you know, um, amongst you, but verse 30, also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. You're going to have two sets of problems, guys. You're going to be attacked from without, and you're going to be attacked from within. Church is no different today. You're no different today. Just your own personal life. You, there's only two things that you have to worry about. The attacks the enemy throws at you from outside and the attacks your own mind and unrenewed mind throws at you from the inside. And you will get both. But notice what he says here. Therefore watch, be on guard, and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. 
He's turning this church over. And these are the two things that he's commending them to. Now, let me stop right there and, and, and give a little, get a little technical with you, and I don't mean to overwhelm you with technicalities. But the Greek word there um, for commend, and I'm even going to try to pronounce it, but it is in, it is in the um, indicative mood. The indicative mood in, in Greek means that it's an action that takes place right now, but it has a continuous and progressive effect for the future. So it's something I do now, but the, the ripples carry out. And in this case, they carry out for all time. Paul's commending them. He's giving them something that he's saying, this is yours right now. This word commend, uh, in, there are four places in the, the, when it talks about the parable of feeding the 5,000, that same Greek word is translated distribute, to distribute the food. Uh, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Same Greek word for commit. And then uh, Timothy, Paul said in, in both letters to Timothy, um, he used the English Standard Translation, translated this same word, to entrust. So he's saying, and I, I did, said that because when I read I commend, it's like that means, I don't know. Commend just doesn't mean a lot to me. But to distribute to commit, to entrust, I'm giving it to you now and it's going to have ramifications down through your lives and in this case, down through history. So I commend you to two things, to God, you gotta have a living relationship with, with the Father, but also the word of His grace. Those two things together, the word and the Holy Spirit, are able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, to be sanctified means you are holy. And I know for a lot of Christians, their first response is, well, I'm not holy. <laughs> you should have seen me last night. should have seen me last week. I had a flesh fit. Who cares? That's not the real you. Now, will that have an effect on your life? Sure. The uh, Bible's very clear. Be, uh, um, um, be not deceived. The, the way a man sows, he also shall reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap destruction from the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap everlasting life from the Spirit. But I'm not, I'm not discounting that a life of sin has no effect on you. But what I'm saying is a life uh, of fleshly acts do not have the power to overcome your recreated spirit. But, and when you find yourself that you've been in those, the only way out is, is to take the Holy Spirit at His Word, which is this Word, and, and run with that to the written Word and start enforcing the written Word in your life. You have to take and, and get... Remember, I started this by saying you can't rise above the revelation of who you are in Christ. If you don't have a revelation that you're in Christ and that everything that Christ has is yours now and you have access to it and you can exercise authority using that, then it's going to limit what you can do in, this, in, in your spiritual life. It will always limit you. But you can only get that, that revelation by starting with the written word. You have to put the word first. Now let's go over to... Um, well, go to 2 Peter. Let me read this to you while you're going to 2 Peter chapter 1. This, this is not something new. Proverbs said this. Proverbs 4. Let me just read these verses to you. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. This isn't something that just Jesus thought up, that Paul just thought up, or that Peter just thought up. This is something that God has preached through the entire Bible. It's His Word. We're going to go back in a little while back to look at Joshua, when Joshua had to take over for Moses. It was His Word that, that God commended Joshua to. God's Word. It's, and Peter puts it pretty succinctly in 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's start in verse 1. He says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. 
Now let me stop there and just take a little rabbit trail here. I, I've heard a lot of people, you know, and, and there's a lot of hyper grace. I don't know how else to put it. Um, and I preach grace hard, as hard as anybody I know. But <clears throat> there are people that will never accept that, they're, that they could be a slave to Christ, a bondservant to Christ. I'm a child, and I will not accept to be a, a, a servant. Well, you are a child. But when a child grows up, a child usually, if their dad is rich and owns a big corporation, the child usually goes to work for dad with the intent that you're going to learn the business and one day you're going to take over. That's, that is God's intention. God's intention, when you, are a, a, when you are a spiritual baby, He doesn't mind you being a baby. He will feed you and, and, and feed you with the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. But you ought to be growing thereby. And if you're not growing, there's something wrong because you're not eating. If I look at somebody and, and I see this, this person sitting here and they look like they're three years old and, and their parents say, no, he's 17. My lightning fast mind comes up real quick. There's something wrong with this kid. Has he been starved? Does he have something physically wrong with him? It could be a lot of things. You know, uh, uh, if you've ever slept in an antique bed, it's not real comfortable. They're usually about, you know, five feet long. Why? Because 100 years ago, the population was about six or eight inches shorter than we are today on average because they didn't eat as well as we do, which always makes me laugh when people talk about, you know, we have lousy food today. All our food is dead. We're the best-fed uh, uh, population in the entire history of the world. You can go to Kroger's, Myers, any of these grocery stores right now and get fresh fruit, and it's February. No one's ever been able to do that in the history of mankind. And most people today in the earth can't do that. So we, as, we, as we eat better, we grow taller and stronger. Same principle works with, with our faith. As we eat more and feed more on the Word, we grow up. And at some point, God calls us just like He did Peter, and He says, okay, you're an adult now. It's time to go to work in Dad's shop. And Dad's shop is proclaiming the gospel. Dad's shop is leaving, living correctly so that you don't have to worry about your reaping corruption for your flesh because you've trained your flesh and you have it under, under um, control. And that does, just doesn't mean that you don't smoke, cuss, drink, and party. Those are the easy ones. If you want to read the, uh, 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 the real hard ones, go back to Proverbs and look at the seven deadly sins. Five of them deal with the mouth. James deals with the tongue. When you read, read the list of the, the uh, works of the flesh in Galatians, most of them deal with words and attitudes. Now, is it great to smoke? Is it great to drink? Is it great to carouse? No, those things are not good for you and they will cost you a price. But you can have all of that lined out and be walking the straight and narrow from the outward appearance and be the meanest, backbitingest, gossipest thing. And God looks at you and says, my, my, my. Straighten up. I love those enthusiastic amens. <laughs> Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant. Peter made himself a servant. He said, God, I am a mature Christian. I am grown up, and I want to work for you. This is my life. Now, you may earn a paycheck some other way, but your life is being a Christian. That's your calling. That's your vocation. That's your full-time job. Even when you're working and getting a paycheck somewhere, you're still a bondservant of Christ. You may not be called to be an apostle. You are called to be a bondservant. To those who have obtained like precious faith, I want to camp there just a second. We have, Peter says it, we have the exact same faith that Jesus had. The exact same faith that uh, Peter had. Same quality, same status, nothing's different. Peter, Paul, 
None of the apostles, none of the first, Christ, first century Christians had anything on our faith. We stand with them, equal to them. Now, I tell you, when you start declaring, I have the same faith that Peter does and that Paul does, a lot of people will look at you and say, you, you're really full of yourself. No, I'm full of God. I'm seated in heavenly places with Him. When, 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 when the Father looks at me, all He sees is Jesus. He's given me everything that, that He is. Amen? We'll let the Spirit in. But we have obtained like precious faith with us, that's by Peter, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now look what he says here in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied in you. Now grace and peace be multiplied means in ever increasing measure. It should be getting more and more and more. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. This is what I'm talking about, about this revelation. The knowledge, the word here for knowledge, the normal word, Greek word for knowledge is gnosis. This is epinosis. Epi is a prefix that means above and beyond. He's, what Peter's saying here is <clears throat> this grace and peace will be an ever-increasing measure as you get a, a higher knowledge, as you get a revelation of what God is saying. Now, that doesn't mean that you've gone beyond the Bible. I'll be honest with you. You get beyond the Bible, you're in dangerous territory. You're in a minefield. You're allowed to loose your legs and your life. It's a higher knowledge of what your senses and what your unrenewed mind believes. Well, I just don't see how that's true. I don't understand how that can be. Well, quit trying to figure it out. Just believe it and act on it. It's a higher knowledge. Verse 3, as His divine power has given to us, already done, past tense. He's already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, if God would just come and touch me, He's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, I need a touch from heaven. You're in heaven. How can you get more of a touch than being fully incorporated in Christ? You know, there is a mathematical, Aaron can testify to this, mathematical precept. If A equals B and B equals C, then C and A have to equal. It's always true. Well, if Jesus is in the Father and I am in Jesus, then I am in the Father. If Jesus and the Father are one, and I and Jesus are one, then me and the Father are one. I'm just like Him. It's not anything that I did. It's Him grabbing me, pulling me out of that muck and mire, and setting me in heavenly places, saying, I have recreated you, made you fit to be part of my kingdom. And I want you to rule and reign. And as your life gets straightened out, go out and declare to people, you don't have to live in all this crud that you're in. There's a better way. But he's already given it to us. It's mine now. But if I don't have that knowledge, if that hasn't become mine, I can't walk in it. And if I, can't, if I don't have the knowledge, I can't walk in it. If I don't walk in it, it's not going to change my life. And that's why when you look at most Christians, they don't look any different than the world they live in. God help us. Brother Hagen was not a super spiritual giant. He was what ordinary Christians should be. You look at Oral Roberts. You look at all of the, you know, Billy Graham. I, I admire all of those men and many more. I, I, I especially love Billy Graham. Somebody asked him a few years ago, they were interviewing him, and they said, what, when you look back on your ministry, what is your thought? His, his re response, and it told me why he did great things in the kingdom of God. My thought is I did so little with so much. He saw where he failed, not where he succeeded. But that's what the ordinary person should be doing. Amen? And it's not just you know, about going out and preaching and getting people saved and getting great numbers. Some of you, God may never have you witness to a soul, but he may be calling you to stay on your knees for three or four hours a day. 
There are going to be people when we get to heaven and we're going to get there and the crowns are going to get distributed and we're going to think, well, there's so-and-so, man. They're going to get a big crown. And they're going to not even get called, but there's going to be some little old widow lady that steps out from behind them and Jesus says, here's your crown. You got credit for everything this man did because it's a fruit of your prayers. Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. Nothing you will ever do in the kingdom will, will when I said you cannot rise above your, your revelation of who you are in Christ, you can never rise above your level of prayer either. You don't pray, you're probably not going to have much an anointing, and without the anointing, none of it's going to work. Amen? Now let's go on. I'm really running out of time. Um, <clears throat> Let's back up and start with verse 3 again. As His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge, again, this epinosis, of Him. It's not a superior knowledge. It's a superior knowledge of who He is and who I am in Him. It's, it's through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That's the Bible. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It's through believing and acting on the promises that you escape the, um, the corruption. And that word there, worlds, doesn't have to do with the physical earth. If it meant the planet earth, it would be the word geo. It's the Greek word cosmos, which means the world system. That's the world system that came into effect when Adam fell and Satan took over. The, 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 our problem is not with the physical earth. Now, the physical earth is messed up. Not because global warming. It's not because we're raping the land by extracting ores and minerals and oil. It's because... The devil has charge of the world system. The devil, the devil has imposed his system on the earth. But we can escape that corruption, that failing, if we will take to the exceeding great and precious promises. Amen? But notice, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. I love Mounts' translation. He says, by your faith, produce virtue. And by your virtue, knowledge. And so forth and so forth. The thought there is, this is a progression. This is something that is going to grow. If it's not growing, then you've stopped. And if you've stopped, then something's wrong. Now, it may be, Gina and I were joking uh, about the, our, our grandkids with, with our son and daughter a few weeks ago, and we were joking around, talking about, especially one of our grandsons, he... he Quit growing for a while. And he's plumping up. And I was joking with Tiffany. I said, I remember when you got to your plump stages. She would get to a stage and she just wouldn't get any taller. And she just started putting on weight. And she was just a little porker. And she would plump up and plump up and plump up. And then suddenly she would go for six, eight, ten months and not gain a pound, but gain six, eight, ten inches. She would just sprout like crazy. The same thing works with us. Sometimes you may not be growing phys or spiritually to where you can see things changing, but you're storing up stuff. You're, you're, you're learning. You're, you're gaining anointings. You're gaining experiences. And suddenly, you have one of these suddenlies where you get breakthrough. And things, everything changes. And you, you, you think, why did I do this before? Because you didn't have the ammunition stored, stored up. Armies don't go to war until they get all of the stuff ready to go to war because it takes a lot to wage war. Well, God wants you to do that. He wants you to store up the precious promises. Meditate on them. And I don't have time because it's already past noon. But we'll pick this up next week. Pastor Chuck has graciously allowed me to keep going. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 1. And if you want to, go, go read Joshua chapter 1 this week and prepare yourselves. Joshua, can imagine what, what life would be like being Joshua. You're going to take over for Moses. Wow. The Jews today still put Moses, he's, he's it. He is the chief prophet of the Jewish faith. 
No one has ever surpassed where Moses was. Moses stands for Judaism where, where Paul and Peter stand for Christianity. And yet Joshua had to take his place. Well, how did he do that? That's what Joshua 1 is all about. And it all comes back to lean on my word. Lean on my word. I've given you this. I've given you these promises. I've gave, I gave Moses this word. Now I'm going to fulfill it through you. Well, this word that we're looking at, God gave it to Paul. He gave it to Peter. He gave it to the other writers. But he's saying, it's yours. It's yours. It belongs to you. You've got to make it personal. If it's not personal, then it's not going to be able, you're not going to be able to use it. Amen? You have to make it yours. That's why I say you need your Bible. You need to see it in your Bible. You need to start every day or sometime. I, I'm not one that, for me, I got to pray first thing in the morning. If that's not my first activity, it's not going to happen. Or if I try to pray at night, you know what happens. I fall asleep. You sit down and start praying. Next thing you know, it's two hours later, and you think, wow, where'd the time go? Well, it went because you were napping. For me, just the way I work, I got to do it in the morning. I got to read the word. I got to pray. If I don't get it in the morning, I'm not going to get it done. It has to start my day. You may be different. I know people, there's some people, you're night people. You don't become fully awake until it hits 11 o'clock. Well, when the 11 o'clock hour hits and you're perking up and you're ready, then grab your Bible and read some word and pray over it and declare to God, this is for me. This is mine. I'm going to believe this. I'm going to see this active in my life. I'm going to see my life change. Pick one thing and just start working on that. Renew your mind. And see it. See God do it in your life. Make it your life's goal to progress in that area. Amen? And as you do, you will start to see victory. God will remember, God's always speaking. If you're not hearing him, probably because you're not listening or there's so much background noise that you can't hear him. Amen? Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.